Welcome back to Sluts and Scholars, your weekly podcast where we make your sex smarter and your smart sexier. I am Simone. And I'm Nicoletta. And this week, we are so lucky to have the amazing Jessica Drake. So lucky. She is an activist, sex educator, an adult film star, writer, and content creator. She has been in over 300 adult films and won more than 16 adult industry awards. Drake has beautifully bridged the gap between porn and sex education through her work with Wicked Pictures and her series Jessica Drake's Guide to Wicked Sex. Ah, I told you that's the best bio that I never wrote. I love it. Thank that's you. Amazing. What a Feel great introduction. I will actually. Well, we did a lot of research since we're you know slutty scholars. Clearly, so we went we went in. Nice. Yeah. Thanks for so having happy. me. Thank you for being here. So the first thing we would love to talk about, and usually it's the last thing we talk about, but I feel like you embody this so much. But how have you been judged based on your job and your work in this industry? I mean, I can only imagine. How much time do we have? <laughs> like, <laughs> Full hour. Forever. Nice. Okay. So for me, I think in the beginning when I was first coming in, it was 2000, right? Like that's the first time I started doing adult movies. And I had been a house dancer in Texas. What's a house um, dancer? Like a, a stripper. Okay. Basically just a, like a, I, I, I will say a regular stripper, but I like to think I go above and beyond. Um, but I <laughs> yeah, wanted to be. What is a regular stripper? <laughs> you know, a girl that just gets up on stage and gets paid tips at night. But I wanted to be a feature entertainer. So a feature entertainer is a girl that travels around and gets paid a certain amount of money to just show up at a club. Well, that, oh. that's what I wanted to do, right? Because I saw features come through uh, the club that I was working at and I was like, I could do that better. So yes. in, in uh-huh. doing that, I met, I met many people that were affiliated with the adult industry. And initially I was super curious about... Well, because I was a porn fan already, but I had never met anyone in the business. So I think me, like many other people, had some preconceived notions. And when I got closer to these people that were involved in the business, it was like a director, uh, some crew. Uh, The director's wife was also an adult star. They were really great with me because they told me right out of the gate, look, if you opt to do this, like if porn is something that you want to do, you just have to go into it knowing that it's going to change the way that some people will look at you for the rest of your life and Mm -hmm. it will always come back on you. And I think that like in 2000, we didn't have such a problem with porn piracy, you know, so people weren't downloading my stuff for free all the time. Uh, VHS was on its way out. DVDs were pretty big, but the majority of porn fans were still going into adult stores. But as the years progress, they're seeing it all online. Mm -hmm. So it becomes increasingly harder to hide it. Um, And then uh, signing a contract with Wicked Pictures, which was the best decision of my career because they're fantastic. uh, Signing a contract with Wicked gave me a lot more visibility, which is awesome because it made me, I'm going to use air quotes, famous, (laughs) at least, you know, in our realm. I don't think you need to take the air quotes away. You're you're (laughs) fucking famous. Like, you're famous. Uh, Infamous, maybe. Uh, (laughs) But at the same time, it definitely made me traveling under the radar and being invisible nearly impossible because Mm -hmm. I can't be in an airport without being recognized. Like, I can go about my day 
nobody really pays me any attention. Well, it's funny because we actually flew back from a conference and happened to be on the same yeah. plane coming back from the conference. And I think you were sitting next to two elderly folk. Yeah. I wonder if they recognize. Well, well OK, here's the deal. Do people usually say something or do you just have like you lock eyes with someone? You're like, I've, they've definitely seen me fuck. Yeah. So, so that happens. Um, but what I get a lot of the time is I'll see somebody in public and like we'll be passing each other and they look at me and they think they know me. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they, they've watched me. <laughs> fucking so they think they know me and so like, they're like we had sex before they're like hey and then I try to go through the Rolodex in my mind I'm uh-huh. like where do I know this person from like do I really know them <laughs> do I do, do they think they know me but then sometimes what happens is it dawns on them where they know me from and so this thing like look will come across their face like oh shit she and they're knows. like uh. but I don't mind being approached but as as far as like how does that come back on me um, we have some people that are super cool and they're super fans. You have some people that are that want to be really cool and accepting about it, but then they get really creepy because they think that because they watch me in such an intimate way on a regular basis, they have free reign. That they're entitled to like yeah, know things touch or ask me. things or touch you. Or touch me. Yeah. Really? I mean, you, you'd be surprised at the familiarity that happens very quickly with, with some. Not all. But Wait, so you're saying like people like these creepy people will just like touch you or they'll ask if they can touch you no there's usually with like, people what that, that take it to that extent there's usually no consent involved right fuck? and i and i have to set them straight and i usually find this at places like adult conventions or in strip clubs or something like that and even if i'm just as a patron or as an attendee there is definitely that sense of entitlement and how, how do you how, respond yeah i, I would love Wait, for you to just I, like very walk direct. us through like what someone does and how you respond because even as like a non-famous person like i still get unwarranted physical contact from Absolutely. people that for some reason feel they're entitled to my body because my physical presence is there um and so i want to know how you respond so it's such a pet peeve of mine that uh, and over the years i've like honed this skill a little more cuz i think that when we're not taught bodily autonomy as we're growing up is not something that comes naturally to us. And so then when we're thrust into these like situations. Like you feel bad asking someone right. to stop. Or you're scared. Yeah. So I say, please don't touch me. And just like that. And a few things happen. Sometimes folks can be defensive about it. Oh, I didn't mean anything. Like, what do you think you are, bitch? Right, exactly. Or they can be like, who do you think you are? Like, you take dicks for a living. That's one of my favorite lines. Like, Ah, you take dicks for a living so I can touch you. you. I have it. I do. I'm going to have it put on my business cards. Takes dicks for a living. (laughs) And you take them very well. (laughs) And I'm about to take that guy's like out the door (laughs) on a little silver plate. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I think that it's it is really interesting how some people think they have the right. At the same time, you know, I have people that will simply, that don't want to touch me and would never touch me in a million years because I'm dirty, like in the bad way, dirty. Um, They just don't want that association. And to me, that's that's the saddest, right? Because you can take somebody that's going to start to touch you without your consent and you can pretty much set that person straight or get away from them. Or normally I don't travel places that I would run into a lot of people like that alone. Yeah. But when I make up my mind to confide in that elderly person sitting next to me on the plane because they're pushing me for what I do for a living, sometimes people don't just, they just don't give up. And then I'm like, okay, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. I take dicks for a living. Right, I take (laughs) And other things. (laughs) That's so interesting. And, yeah, and mean, then what happens? Do they shut down? 
Some all, people do. Yeah, it all depends. I mean, some some people definitely do. I've had conversations to where I thought the person was going to be super cool, and then I'll be like, I'm I'm in sales and marketing of myself, um, uh, and then they're like, No, but what do you really do? Oh, you know, I dabble in a little acting. I'm an educator. Really, what do you teach? Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> And it it all depends on the situation. And sometimes it's like my my gut instinct and I try to size a person up to the best of my ability and be like, what am I going to tell this person? And many times I'm right. Occasionally I'm wrong. It's so disappointing. And I have to I have to censor myself, too, when I say like sex therapy or sexologist or whatever. So if I think it's, you know, even if I'm meeting someone from my partner's family or someone who seems more conservative, I find myself having to say like, oh, I'm a therapist. Right. Yeah. We have sex kind of therapy. <laughs> oh, I, I talk to two couples taking dicks. Yeah. I want to come back. I want to come back to the the sa- the sadness kind of that you mentioned about people like uh, n- like sadness within them or that you experience because it's it's like so the dirty factor that right. you said. So I used to care a lot more and I used to be a lot more sensitive mm. to people stigmatizing sex workers and stigmatizing porn the adult industry or anything that they don't understand but the older I got the less fucks I give and the more I realize that it says way more about them than it is about me mm-hmm. and I'm really comfortable with who I am as a person and I'm pretty firm in my beliefs and I think that by utilizing the platform that I've been given, I'm accomplishing something that's actually quite good. And once I found the value in what it is that I'm doing, not only have I been a sexual inspiration for people to jerk off to and rub one out to and buzz one out to, and that's awesome, but now I am to the point in my career and I have been for about the past five or six years where I'm providing them with some hopefully very shame-free, non-judgmental, factual sex ed that mm-hmm. they probably didn't get at home or at school or anywhere mm-hmm. else. And hopefully that giving them that information and challenging their own personal beliefs and biases can kind of let them analyze the way they're looking at everything, not just me, not just porn, but maybe if I open someone's eyes to that and change their mind, like I've done something, I'm like, hey, that's awesome. And there's still people that jerk off to And me. they it's might great. give you that feedback, but also be watching it in private. Yeah. Oh, of course. We, we've interviewed a few people from the adult entertainment industry, and we've had so many people who also do education. But I mean, you know, we talk about porn as something that's, that's a fantasy that yes. is, um, you know, not quote unquote real life or yeah. real sex and that you shouldn't only learn from porn. So how did you bridge the gap making it educational? There were two catalysts that I had right before I got into sex ed. Uh, One was a woman who came to me and told me that she was not experiencing orgasms with her partner, but she was orgasmic alone. Uh, Her partner was a man and they had been married for 15 years. I have a lot of those clients. He thought he was getting her off this whole time. Well, because she was faking it. No, don't fake it. PSA, Ever. PSA, PSA. Ever. Don't fake because you're not only ruining <laughs> it for yourself by not coming, but you're telling this person that what they're doing is making you come, which is bad for them yeah. and bad for any future lovers that they're going to have. And it's just don't fake. It's okay. 
sex is pleasure oriented, not goal yes. oriented. And if it says Nina Hartley, and if you're feeling good, that's what's important. Sorry, done. Continue. No, I think, no, we. Just I don't think we can. Removed. Stepping down. I don't think we can drive that point home enough. It's so like, fucking important. People need to know that, and and people, folks of, of all types, come to me and they're like, "But I can get off on my own. I can't get off with my partner." I'm like. Have you been pretending to get off with your partner because you're essentially training them on how to not get you off? Exactly. And then they think they're the shit. Yeah, like so- what you've been doing for 10 years now, <laughs> just do the opposite. Right. Not working at all. Forget all that. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that that's something that was a catalyst for me. The other thing that was a catalyst for me is that I had a couple come to me, tell me that there was something wrong with them. Um, and I've told this story a million times, so I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. But essentially, they were talking about not being able to have anal sex as easily as they see it portrayed in adult movies. And mm. I'm like, well, that's your problem. Like, you're you're not seeing the prep work. You're not seeing the negotiation. You don't understand. Yeah, the thrice douching. <laughs> right. You, you don't understand that that what happens when someone is hired for an adult scene is, is we're booked for, well, and I'm going to take myself out of this equation because I'm a contract performer. So this is completely different for me, but independent performers, when they're hired, like as a director, I will hire someone for a boy girl scene or a girl, girl anal scene or a blowjob scene or a DP scene, double penetration, but everybody knows what they're going to do beforehand. So there's not a lot of spontaneity in a hired porn scene. And when people try to replicate what they see at home, like they put on a pizza boy uniform and they <laughs> ring the doorbell. Got your and sausage then pizza. They're immediately like having anal sex easily. No. Because well, that's how it happens in the movies. Right. So and what is happening ahead of time? <sighs> oh, we had Blair Williams on and she was like, I'll juice for three days and like use dilators and like do all this stuff in preparation. Is that common? Well, I mean, I think I think prep, and I'll tell you what I do, but I think prep definitely, it just depends on the performer. Like you find what's right for you. I was having anal sex before I got into porn, so I know my body really well. Um, I know that if I eat dinner the night before uh, and I use an enema that I'm cool for an anal scene up until about whatever time that next afternoon, you know, I wouldn't juice for three days. I wouldn't starve myself because for me as a performer, that takes too much energy Mm. away from what I'm trying to accomplish. You know, Um, as far as dilators, no, because I am used to the expansion and love having anal sex. uh, But I do a warm up that you may or may not see on camera. Like it's not straight to pounding anal Mm. penetration. And I use lots and lots of lube. And that's something else that you don't normally see in porn. Like, you know, when do you see porn performers passing each other yes. lube? You know, like Wicked ah. Pictures also started a fantastic brand of lube called Wicked Sensual Care. Um, we just got some amazing <laughs> ones from There's you. Like, they're Can't like flavor. Well, some of them are. Uh, we have water-based. We have silicone-based. We have flavors. Um but you don't you don't necessarily see that in a movie. And one of the one of the biggest benefits to me anyway um, of us having this amazing line of lubes is that I can reach for it on camera and my editor doesn't have to take it out. Oh, because the brand. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's oh, awesome. like a little Product shame, placement. shameless self-promotion. That's incredible. It. But so this couple came to you and they were like, we can't have anal yeah. sex like in the movies. 
teach us your ways? So I did. Um, I took them, you know, through the toys and showed them butt plugs. Like hands on? Yeah. Well, no, I didn't stick it in her no, ass. No, no, I mean, but, but I mean, like, I, in the, I mean, like, yes. that, it wasn't a video that you no, made. Sorry. It was, yeah. it was in the store because I was just doing appearances then. Like, oh, I, wow. I would go into oh. an adult store, sit behind a table like this with my product everywhere, take pictures with fans, uh, sell movies and sign autographs and all kinds of stuff. And these were people that were just waiting in lines to talk to me about it. And I just noticed that there was an influx of sex ed questions. So I was always the person in school to give all, give all of my friends information. Oh, yeah, that that was us, too. I, I sense that, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so I enrolled in a program to be a sex educator. I've done SFISI training in San Francisco. I've got like... What's SFISI training? Uh, San Francisco Sex Information. It's a six-week intensive in San Fran, and they really teach uh, being non-judgmental in your mm. sex ed and it's f for me I was looking for more diversity and inclusion as far as sex ed and they were so helpful to me and then I've done a bunch of SARS uh with ASECT and then I've taken and if you don't know what a SAR is uh can you tell us a little bit about oh, I was that. thinking SARS like <laughs> severe acute respiratory thing and I was like where what no, much more fun <laughs> you're like where are the masks yeah. it's like a sexual what is it sexual attitude reassessment yeah so it's reassessment now it used to be readjustment but they felt that that was too strong of a word and essentially what it is I think I've done like four SARS now um it's an intensive like it can be two maybe three day workshop where they flood you with all kinds of media uh, information stories sometimes panels of speakers and it's it's to um, try to get you to look at the way that you think about sex and understand what your own personal biases are like what pushes your buttons what you mm. maybe have or haven't seen before and I'll never forget I went into my first one going Oh, I've seen it all. I'm in porn. I've seen it all. <laughs> I walked out of that first star like shell shocked. My eyes were really big. I'm like, I need to go sit in a room quietly really? <laughs> and decompress. It was really challenging to Is me. Is there anything you feel comfortable sharing that you like didn't realize you had a bias towards? Um, I don't. I'm going to say it and I've never said it before. Bestiality. Animals oh. can't give consent. And I was like, I, I'm the girl that loves to go to the zoo and watch animals fuck each other. <laughs> I find that really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the other part I really had a problem with. Um, I also have a problem with hate speech and race play mm -hmm. because both of those things are, I just get super upset. Uh, maybe in part because I come from an area deep in East Texas that is very racially charged. Mm. And, we, and it's hard to watch even when you know people are consenting, I think, yeah. to that. I mean, maybe not in, not in the zoo, zoophilia or bestiality realm, but like what yeah. you were saying, to, to see that even though you know it's consensual yeah. and still have those responses. Yeah. And I sat, you know, I sat with it and with every SAR I do, I go into it and I pay attention to a different thing and I find, well, what am I looking at? But then I also examine what things I am not thinking are unusual. And I thought to myself this past one, I've, I don't seem to be re reacting very much to any dicks. Like, how many dicks have I seen in my life? How many? And, Do you think like, you've seen? I don't know. Are we counting dick pics on Twitter that come to me unsolicited because shit. like a fucking bazillion? Oh my uh, God. If I had a dollar for every dick pic, I have, well... If I had a dollar for every dick, I'd never mind. <laughs> no, please, you would have a please. lot of dollars. 
I would have a lot of dollars. Um, do unsolicited dick pics fall into the category of like unwanted <laughs> attention or do you enjoy the dick pics? Because so, we've heard mixed reviews. Really? Does, I've never heard anyone who likes the dick pics. Well, I don't know if it was Nina, but some people are like, you know, I, that's so nice of you. I'm not what? really interested, but thanks. So I think talk to Sunny Megatron about we it. Have. She spit some game about She's like, dick pics. She's coming out. Her episode's coming I out so her. soon. Or I actually, will have already come out by the time we air yours. I love her. Um, I think different people think different things about dick pics. For me, I used to do this thing when it, they would show up in my Twitter timeline. I would retweet them and just hashtag tweet of shame. But I realized I was doing two things. I was shaming them for sending me a dick pic. And also, Revenge probably, party? probably yeah, a little, probably feeding into the attention they were trying to get. Oh. So I noticed the more I did that, they were actually sending them to me in hopes that I would that do that That you would repost their dick. <laughs> yeah. So for now, for me, it all depends on my mood. And if you follow me on, on my social media, at least on my personal account, not the guide to wicked sex but sometimes I think you can tell when I'm PMSing because I just have <laughs> no filter at all I have like complete and utter disregard of like whatever um and I sent a guy some feedback once he sent me a picture of his dick and he was like so proud of it I'm of like, his dick he's like look I have a penis I'm like nice couch because there was like this weird plaid ratty couch in the background and I'm like that's a really nice couch and I've done like other things before so I think you can definitely tell but anyway so back to nice my training about and Spissy and SARS and everything else um, so when I was first getting into sex education uh, I decided that I needed knowledge because I felt as if I was coming from an area that maybe people wouldn't take me very seriously from. Oh, you're a porn star. Okay, you take a lot of dick, but what do you really know about sex education? So um, I did that for a few years. You know, I learned everything I could learn. I went everywhere that I could learn, talked to everybody I could talk to. I think and it's great you got that other education and at the same time it's disappointing that yeah. you have to get right. it so that you're taken seriously. Yeah, I think we talked about this a little bit when we met. Um, and it is something that I used to battle a lot more than I do now. I think uh, probably two or three years ago, I had some serious uh, episodes of like imposter syndrome thinking, am I qualified? Am I good enough? Do I know what I'm doing? I'm standing up here with some of the greatest people in sex education. Um, and like I would win an award and be like, do I really deserve this? Because there's all these other people that are yes, so good. And they work so-, so I'm a little bit more I, I'm a little bit more comfortable with that now. And I try to to take this opportunity to just keep on teaching people, you know, because if the only reason they're listening to me and like asking me questions and taking advice from me is because they know me from porn or they know the name or they've seen me take dicks, but they're still learning. That's awesome. Like yeah. if I've reached those people. I love it. I'm so grateful. Oh, I love that too. I'm curious in all of your training and learning and teaching, I would love to know what is the most kind of surprising thing that you learned in your process of becoming a sex educator. So I guess it's kind of your whole life. But I'm also curious about what's the most surprising question that you've gotten multiple times or just a one-off? Gosh, this is such a good question. I'm sure there's so many answers. But I don't too. even know that I've ever really been asked that question. I think as far as things that have surprised me, I think the lack of resources in sex and disability, as mm. far as like things that have surprised me, uh, questions that I've been asked that I had 
the least amount of experience with to speak on is sex and trauma, which is why I'm really trying to kind of veer over into that area and just learn for the time being, just, just learn because I'm not qualified to speak on it. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I've been asked questions about, I think everybody's heard this, like the, can I put it in my ass questions? (laughs) Like anything, (laughs) just random stuff. Like (laughs) this pineapple water bottle, my mic stand, like what? Yeah. That mic stand. Like, well, it's talking about the bigger base. Yeah. I'm like, it, it flared base. Use a lot of lube. Like, do you like it? Do you know, if after you. <laughs> My beanie baby. Right. Like, Princess I like Diana. It. Beanie baby. Oh. <laughs> not, not, not her. <laughs> well, not now, anyway. Oh, my gosh. We're going to hell. Uh, oh, um, sorry, Harry. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry, Harry. Sorry, Harry. But stuff like that, you know? And I mean, for me, one of the challenging things is when uh, having a better poker face, because I think I really don't. And so, like, people will come to me and ask me a question, and it'll be something I, I really think everybody should know. Like what? Like but what do you think everybody sh- should know? I don't know, but you don't want to shame them. Of course. Like, I can't think about the most recent question. No, this isn't about shaming, but I'm but just thinking like, about, like, what do you think is the greatest, like, lacuna in our current sex education that people, like— what do people not know that you just wish they fucking did? I think there's like so basic. many things. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, it, not that there has to be a ranges. one. You know what I get a lot of the time, like especially lately, I have women or couples coming up to me in the in the okay hetero couples coming up to me and telling me that they would use a sex toy, but their uh, male partner is intimidated by it mm. or. Uh, they don't use lube because they think they should be wet enough oh, immediately. Yeah. Someone gave me a great analogy. I don't know if you've heard this one, but thinking of the toys and the lube as your best wing person. Oh, that's Or good. your best wingman, wing woman, whatever. Yeah. And like trying to reframe it that way. I like that. I like so that. So I've heard that if you want somebody to do work on your roof and they pull out power tools and things to make their job easier, that's okay, right? So why mm. wouldn't we use tools to make our, not that it's a job, but you know what I mean? no. So no I pun think, intended, but it goes so much deeper than that. Right. Though, like, like it's, yeah. we're no longer banging rocks together. We have yeah. tools, but it it does go uh, culturally. Uh, I think the lube because you're not wet enough thing is a really common thing. It's I think sad. even I've felt that. Like, I, I mean, I I don't like to honor it necess- like honor that sure. thought. But I think that definitely occurs to me, especially you know if you are someone who does get wet easily, yeah. and then sometimes it's just not happening, and it's not because you don't want to be there, or not because you're not aroused. But I yeah. think there is this pressure on women to like when we do want to have sex to be like I'm having sex and I'm so horny for you, yeah, maybe because that's ready. kind of how it is in porn, and you don't yeah. see the people going to grab the porn, yes. or grab the lube. I don't know. I think it's an interesting, yeah. And I mean, what people don't know, there could be so many reasons for that. And when I tell a woman, you don't have to be ready all the time. And are you on antihistamines? Where are your hormones right now? You know, are you, what part of your cycle? Are you dehydrated? Like simple. Are you stressed out? Like just, it could be something very, very simple. And then what ended up happening was I, I had a guy be like, well, well, what about me? Like, I feel like I'm not doing my job. And then I started oh, to she's think. she's not getting wet. Yeah. And then I started to think about how many times in society, I think some people place unrealistic expectations, or at least certain groups of people think they do, on women because of porn. Like, oh, they have to look a certain way, or they have to shave mm-hmm. their pubic hair or whatever. But what about the expectations on the men? Yes. And like they always have to have hard-ons. They always have to have hard dicks. They always have to fuck for three or four hours. That's a lot of pressure. So I started talking to men 
in much of the same way and just giving them space to be insecure with sex. And I think that initially when they think that they're talking to me as a porn star, they tend to like, I could be, be good. The I could be like that too. You know? I could be like, like that. No, I don't have problems with my dick. I'm like this and I last for this long, you know, but the reality is we're just human. It's very human thing. And what people come to me the most about, I'm sure they come to you the most, they come to you the most. They just want to be told they're okay. I yeah. hate using the word normal, but that's all they want to hear. Most or you're of not, the time. you're not alone. Yeah. And yeah. most people are. Yeah. Like everyone is because you're existing you're okay. and you're in a yeah. body that exists in mere, a myriad of different ways. And yeah. what, however you're existing with your body is what it works is. for you, you know. And if it's not working for you, figure yeah. out how you can. Yeah. You're not, you're not alone. That's so. How have you helped you're bring so that, great. that normalizing stuff into some of your educational videos? So I didn't even realize I did it when I did it for the first time. Wait, for I just want to talk about what they are. So for those of oh, our sure. listeners who don't know, Jessica has a whole line of sex education videos called Jessica's Drake's Guide to Wicked Sex. And, and we it can't covers, wait to watch them. It covers, Movie like, night. It covers everything. The ones anal we got. night. We have, there's anal. There's like, I don't even. Uh, Kelly Shabari talked about the plus size one. Yeah, that yeah. she helped with. Like, so there's just a whole that that is it. it it has like actual sex. Yeah, they the, are they are definitely hardcore. And so what happened after I had that catalyst with the woman who wasn't orgasming with her partner and the couple who couldn't have anal sex the way they saw in porn movies, um, I went to Wicked and I said, look, I, I think there's definitely a space right now. And I think that that people are looking for this information. And I think I have a way to give it to them in a way that I feel like I know what I'm doing and I'm going to back it up with some factual information. And I want to do this. Can we do this? And they were like, we'll do one and we'll see how it does. I'm like, no pressure. Uh, (laughs) What was the first one? Fellatio, because it was the most popularly requested topic. And it was also the first one that I did something in that normalized a certain behavior that at the time I wasn't conscious of what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I'll explain. So when I shot Fellatio, they all follow the same formula. So Mm -hmm. I am the creator, writer, director, narrator. I don't fuck in these because I didn't want to make a whole line of movies that catered to fans that wanted to see me fucking. Amazing. So I am the educator here. Um, and then I come in and introduce the topic. I talk a little bit about it. I do interviews with the performers that are in uh, in the project. And then we do hardcore demonstrations slowly of whatever that topic is. And then I come back in from time to time narrating. And then at the conclusion of the project, there are three hardcore scenes that you can watch either with or without my narration. So if you want to continue watching for the educational value you're going to leave my voice on but if you just want to want to watch it to get off then <laughs> mute me i stop yammering and <laughs> you can get off or you can still or you can still get off to the education yeah. or all of the above we think yeah that's sexy <laughs> but education the, is so um, sexy yes. oh yes um but so i started with fellatio because everybody wanted to talk to me about blowjobs Um, And I went from fellatio, positions, anal, female masturbation, G-spot and female ejaculation, (gasps) foreplay, striptease, plus size, satisfy her like a legend, anal play for men. I said plus size, Kama Sutra and BDSM for beginners. I think I'm probably missing something in there. Wow. But going back to the beginning in uh, fellatio, So a friend of mine, Hernando Chavez, who you may know, brought this to my attention because he was working with someone that was having some issues with 
feeling like they always had to be ready for sex all the time. Mm -hmm. And he was watching my fellatio educational. And in one of the demonstrations, someone unzips a person's pants and their penis comes out and they're not erect. Oh, so even just that small thing of just like not, not showing a non-erect penis. You think I knew that when I shot it? Not at all. But when I heard it, it, it I went, aha, this makes perfect sense to yeah, me. Yeah, they weren't fluffed. No yeah. one was there. Yeah. Is fluffing real? Nope. Okay, thanks. No. Uh, the only time fluffing is real is when we do like, not we, but the people, when folks do really big gangbangs, when you have so many dicks and so little ways to keep them hard, then there's <laughs> so little time. Yeah, then there are so people. little time. Then there may be, but not all the time. Not there may time. there may like be fluffers. Take care of yourself. Yeah, but so I learned from the dick not being hard in Felicio, and when I was shooting the anal educational, that is really revolutionary. Sorry to interrupt you, but no, like I, I can't think of a time where I've ever watched a sex video where they weren't underwearless. Usually, like and it even, just pops out hard. Even in like even in like mainstream movies, sure. you don't really have a scene where I mean maybe sometimes in like awkward teen sex comedies but it's like about the inexperienced person isn't right. like hard at the get-go yeah fuck yeah Thank it just you. made me think but it was unintentional but it was a learning thing and when I shot uh the anal educational I handpicked my people really carefully and I try to represent people of all different races and all different body types it's really important sometimes it's challenging because the people that are either available that day you know or are willing to do the project or are very good at the topic at hand it's just a scheduling issue you know so I'm, I'm shooting the anal one and I'm booking this couple because I wanted to use a real life hetero couple for penis in uh, with anal penetration and they had never done it in their personal life they had done anal play but never actual insertion successfully. And they were really nervous to take the gig. And I was like, take it. I'm going to pay you the same regardless. And if it doesn't work, it's all the more educational. That's a great way to illustrate that if you can't have penetrative anal sex, go back a few steps. Maybe it's not for you right now. Maybe it's not for you at all. Mm. But like, let me showcase that too. They did it, not very much, but they, you know, they, they were like, okay, we see That's what you're amazing. trying to do here. But I think what I try to show people, and the longer the series goes on, the say it like this, but the better I get with it because initially there are not enough people of color in the series. Just having, just saying to myself in the beginning, I really have to have one person of color in every one of these educationals. I didn't do enough back then, right? Like mm -hmm. I really, I want to make them inclusive. I want to make them more diverse. The more of them that I make, the less I gender them also, because it's, I'm getting in areas where I'm, I do workshops that go along with the educationals, right? And I'm in these adult stores talking to folks about sex all the time. And I'm looking out into a crowd that's there for a blowjob workshop and it's mixed. Yeah. Yeah. So well, everybody's so, second dick. Right. Well, there's so <laughs> many great resources out there too that are educational and there aren't a lot that are updated. Yeah. So often when we're watching them, it's like, you know, most of the doctors are old white males and most of the people in it are like, we're going to have intercourse. Here's our suburban home. And I'm like, yes, there are people out. like, <laughs> well, there are people like that who that works for. Yes. I, I love that people in a suburban home who are both white will have anal sex. Great. Yeah. Do what it. about other diverse, yeah. more inclusivity? You mentioned you might that you just were doing one on trans folk, too. So it's not an educational on trans folk, although 
it's certainly on my wish list, but like I collaborated with Kelly Shabari on Plus Size Sex, I would definitely need to bring in folks from the trans community. Like I'm not capable of shooting that. But um, for about the past three years, Wicked Sensual Care and I have sponsored the Trans Awards here in LA. And I have quite a few friends in the trans community and I always wanted to do a trans scene. I identify as pansexual. And that's something that I only just recently came out with because mm. when I first got into the adult business, you know, you have people that give you advice and you see a career that has a certain path and trajectory. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really, I, I didn't understand enough to identify as pansexual well, back congratulations. then. congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, always learning new things about ourselves. <laughs> I love it. Like it's, it's an awesome process for me. And so as soon as I found myself wanting to be in the trans community and be an advocate and to be involved, and we started sponsoring the trans awards and I became friends with a bunch of folks, I wanted to shoot a trans scene. And I started pestering the powers that be at Wicked. And Wicked's known as a, a bigger budget hetero company that makes, um, you know, plot pertinent movies and not cheesy acting and stupid music, but like adult features. You'll see when you watch them. Um, so, so excited, so excited. So I go and I, I, so I shot a big showcase movie this year. I just shot it. And what a showcase movie is, is the person featured is in every single one of the scenes. So the scenes that I shot, they were all a statement about where I am sexually. And I really wanted a trans scene in that movie. And that's just not done, right? You don't mix mainstream porn and throw some trans people in it. But why? It seems like it's mostly that's a niche. Yeah. But why? You know, and then when you get into like I found with the plus size sex, one of the reasons that I did it it was because all of the search terms were just so fucking condescending. And the Mm. titles that uh, that people of size would end up in, you don't know the title of the movie normally when you do it. Companies can change it. Mm -hmm. So you're in a movie that doesn't align with the things that you want to be represented as. That sucks, right? Yeah. But I also understand commercialism and I understand that some trans folk decide that they're just going to do it and make the money and they don't care what the title is or what the URL is or whatever. And some people like certain titles that other people find condescending. Definitely. Like some people want to be called fat bitch and yes. other people don't want to be called yeah, that. Yeah. I have a cum dumpster story if we have time for oh my it God, later. There's a street, there's a street um, right up here called Cumston Street and I call, <gasps> I call it cum dumpster street. <laughs> I, I've been calling it cum dumpster street since I moved to LA for years ago I hope so my parents my parents came to LA and got an Airbnb on cum dumpster street (laughs) so I had to tell them about it too so they call it cum dumpster street it's great I think we should take a pause and hear your cum dumpster story because it's obviously important okay but we're gonna hold on but we're gonna come back around to the trans scene okay so very important trans uh, scene but pause for cum dumpster uh, I was doing a feminist porn panel at UCLA with a few professors uh, Tasha Ray uh, a doctor and some other people and I didn't know it but they were streaming it online and we Wait, had you didn't know that they were streaming it online no not at the time because I walked in right before it started okay. sat down in my seat and just started answering questions mm-hmm. so this is me <laughs> answering questions so um a very angry woman stood up about three quarters of the way through 
And we were giving people in the audience an opportunity to do Q&A. And she just starts screaming. Like, clearly that's her only agenda, right? She's there and she's hateful and she's angry. and she's Like a very strong anti-porn stance? Very strong. And the majority of the people up on stage were not adult industry affiliated. Just me and Tasha. And um, so she's yelling in the back about, well, it's all your fault that women are being called bitches and cum dumpsters. And you got to answer to that. You have to. And I'm like, I let her go. Right. She raged on and on and on. Sometimes people just need to be heard. Yeah. (laughs) And I let her. And then everybody on the panel was like, their eyes were really big and they were looking at one another. And like she directed it at me, but didn't call me out by name. And I just let her get to the end. And I just leaned in and I was like, and what if it's my choice to be called a cum dumpster? And what if I yes. really enjoy being called? A cum- and I said it a couple more times. Like, <laughs> just to say cum in dumpster. A voice of authority, like say cum dumpster one more time. <laughs> uh, but it was awesome because I don't know if that had ever, that exchange or any exchange like that had ever happened in the auditorium at UCLA. Royce Hall. <laughs> cum dumpster, <Yeah>. cum dumpster. <laughs> Come doctor. And I was like, I've always wanted, I always wanted to go to UCLA <laughs> and say come dumpster. Um, so back. Thank back you for sharing the- that. But yeah, I want to come back to your trans advocacy and your intent on like m- making. You mentioned on the in the way here that's about crossover performers coming into mainstream. Is that what that's called? Yeah. Could you explain a little bit more about that and like what that means and what you're doing about it? Well, so in porn, like most other areas of sex work and probably everywhere else, there's a whore hierarchy. And people in mainstream or hetero porn may sometimes stigmatize people that are in trans porn or gay porn. People of color. People of color. I mean, they're just met people of size, like many, it's, it's fucked. Um, I did a paper on it in college and it was, I don't know how things have changed since then, but it was talking about just the payment rates and things oh. for people of color and how the the titles and things were so much more derogatory yeah. for people of color. So like ghetto gaggers yeah. was one I remember it's looking at and things like that. I And I wasn't aware of it myself as a performer that absolutely comes from a place of privilege. The first time yeah. I was in the position to hire people at all, like I said, in the educationals, it was my intent to always hire a a diverse group of people. And when I realized that I was calling agents and they were giving me a separate rate for performers of color than they were giving for the, for doing the same sex act. And granted, we all set our rates based on what we think we're worth, but when straight across the board, people of color are getting paid, like, nope, it it made me so angry. And the way I, the way I shoot and the way I direct and produce my movies is I pay everyone their rate, no questions asked. But if I see a discrepancy like that, then I will tell whatever person has that lower rate for whatever reason I might imagine. I say, I pay X amount of money for this part and just let them know up front. I don't say, oh, I think you're undercharging. I think this is not whatever. Let them have the choice to. I say, this is what I pay for that day. And then I take the performer's rates. I pay them $100 more on top of that. And I tell them, I'm really happy that you're going to be with me. It's going to be a long day. It's going to be a good day, but it's going to be a long day. And this money is to let you know that I want you with me. Working for you sounds amazing. Yeah, Jessica, come, come why are you so amazing? Can uh, you hire? Like, how did yes, you get sure. this way? Uh, I went through some shit, you know, and I'm super grateful for where I am right now. Uh, I'm in the process of 
writing a book. And I think in writing this book, it's made me be really introspective about some of the things that I went through that I probably dismissed at the time. Mm. And now I'm like, oh, maybe that's why I'm the way I am. I mean, I'm certainly not perfect. Uh, you got me on a good day. Um, but I, I find things that I'm passionate about and I go with them, which is how I ended up in a scene with three trans women. Um, Venus Lux, Aubrey, Kate, and Domino Presley. And uh, I talked the owner of Wicked into taking this risk and doing this scene. And what we ended up doing for about the past year is we went to retailers and distributors and said, hey, will this be a problem if we have this, quote, mainstream porn project, this showcase movie with a boy girl and a six-way girl scene and an interracial, that's another thing I don't like, interracial blow bang. I don't like the terminology um, and all this. And then we What's an interracial blow bang? So by definition, <laughs> uh, interracial blow <laughs> bang. Uh, I like words. Definitions here. I like or, words. I was at a spelling bee last was, night. Like, dictionary. I linguistics. Get at me. Yeah. So uh, in, in porn, unfortunately, interracial usually just means white black girl. guys on a white girl. Now, interracial is two people of different races doing whatever they're doing. Like, that's what it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it's a, probably a whole nother podcast. But we'll have you back. back. So, yeah. if you, you know, October 21. October 24. Right? Um, <laughs> so the, the can trend, we talk about why you said October 24th? Uh, on October the 24th, we can. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> so with the uh, with the trans scene, as we're asking retailers and distributors if it's a problem, they were like, no. But in a curious way, like, hmm. Why do you ask? It, but I mean, I think they got it. You know, they were like, oh, well, where, what section of the store would we put that in? I think it's a little confusing. And then there was also some talk about maybe having like a disclaimer before the scene. But I was 100% against that. Because, Being like, FYI, like you might there's going to be trans people. That's ha! What I said. <laughs> I was like, well, if we're going to, I'm like, might as well do it something like that. I don't, I, I want people to, to just go into it and watch it like porn. And if they see four hot women dressed and then all of a sudden three of them have penises that are being sucked, fucked, ridden, whatever, like... It, if that turns you on, cool. Hey, if how was shooting the scene? It doesn't skip to the next scene. It was so good. <laughs> was it fun? Yeah. When uh, can so, we watch? So uh, Yeah, when I, does this movie come out? So I saw the official screener for it last night. And was bef- it hot? Yes. Before I leave, I can show you the trailer. <gasps> Um, it's not like nobody else has seen the trailer. I'll show oh, you. I'm so excited. Jealous <laughs> listeners. But so what I was so excited about doing the trans scene is that um, I didn't know what to expect. Because you're working with people who have a maybe a different set of things that they can or will or like to do or won't do, you know? And I still have those boundary meetings before my scenes. Like, when I work with somebody for the first time. Yeah, what's a boundary meeting? When I work with somebody for the first time, I'm like, um, do you like rough sex? So for me, it's okay if you spank me. Uh, and usually I let girls choke me out. But, like, if you're a guy, don't hit me in the face. Like, I love spitting. 
but like, do this, don't do this. I don't love fingers in my pussy, but I like anal sex, but I'm going to tell you if it's happening. Like I give them a heads up as to what's going on. That used to be super common. Now it's not as common, but I think a lot of people work with the same people over and over so they again. Just, know. just kind of get into a routine. But I like to go into a scene and if I don't want fingers in my pussy, like, and you know that from the very beginning that that's off the table, you're going to start doing other stuff. Yeah. You know, we're going to find so much more stuff that we like. So for the trans. I think that maybe, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that maybe goes into the horror hierarchy too, because you're l- lucky that you get to work for this company where yeah. you can have these consent conversations, but a lot of people can't or feel that they can't. So I agree with you on that. Um, and what I try to drill into people as no pun intended as <laughs> often as possible is that I wasn't always this performer and I wasn't always with this company. Um, I was independent for an eight month period when I first got into the industry and did mostly gonzo scenes, which are not feature movies where you're just going in, having sex, going home. Um, and I have always been a condom only performer from the beginning of my career. I've walked away from a scene that I didn't want to do. And I try to put it in performers' heads. And I used to say girls. Try to put it in girls' heads. No. I try to put it in performers' heads because I've also seen guys who have been like, I hate doing anal. Why are you doing it? You hate doing DPs? Don't do DPs. Put it on your list and make people understand that these are acts you're willing to do These are acts you're not willing to do because I think the reason that I've been so successful or have achieved the longevity that I've achieved is because I've been very true to what I want to do. And I've always been like, no, I don't want to do that. But at the same time, like, but performers are not having, I don't want to, I have to be very careful with my verbiage, but I think that many people that don't have experience with the adult industry think it's even shadier than it is. It's not that performers are being like, coerced or drugged or held guns to their heads or anything like that. It's just that, look, people by nature are opportunists. So performers need to be very clear about what they're willing to do. Mm-hmm. And when their boundary is reached, they need to to say so. Because yeah, that's hard. Even not as yeah. a, even as yeah. someone who's not a porn performer, yeah. it's very hard. Even when there isn't, you know, money and my career and my job yeah. on the line, it's hard to be like, mm, I don't maybe don't I don't I don't yeah. I don't want Wouldn't that it today. be great if people didn't push those boundaries yeah. too? But hundred percent. Yeah. You know, it's but it's I think sometimes, yeah, also sometimes you don't realize something's a boundary until yep. it got reached. And then you're True. like, in the moment you'd be like, I know I didn't tell you about this ahead of time, but actually, but no, no. Yeah. And I, and always performers have the right to call cut. They have the right to say no. They have the right to stop. Um, and I believe in that very firmly. And somewhere along the line, I think between people being greedy and people being competitive, performers being greedy and competitive when they try to one up each other by mm-hmm. saying, oh, she won't do that, but I will. But but no, why? Why? So you can say you did it because in the long run, it's not going to matter. And what's going to really matter is you being true to yourself. You know, so I wanted to fuck these girls <laughs> really bad. Um, and we started doing this scene and. The director said action. Uh, Brad Armstrong directed it. He's done all of my best movies. And we did whatever we wanted to do. It was not linear. It wasn't linear. like planned in advance. No, it could, well, I mean, our boundaries were. Right. But like strategy-wise, like who was going to have penetrative sex? Like Domino Presley had never been with a cis girl before, a cisgender girl for the listeners. Um, Domino Presley had never 
had penetrative sex with a cisgender woman before and she had penetrative sex with like her. on Whoa. camera or ever 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 oh my god ever and I, I didn't know this going that's in that's so exciting i love her like love her <laughs> and was so honored to be her Domino, first will you, you know? come on our show on our yes podcast? <laughs> i bet i can get some at least some of them to come on your show <laughs> yes. but but so i'm super excited um about the showcase movie because i'm being very vocal about all the stuff that i do in it and the reason crossover back to your question the reason crossover performers are such a big deal is because and what is a crossover performer crossover performer is somebody that it's either uh, a trans performer or works on the gay side who is also trying to do mainstream porn work. And so there really is that big of a, of a Oh, yeah. Like a and they stigmatize them. And then they say that they're higher risk, overall higher risk. And they stigmatize that. Higher and risk for? HIV, STIs, anything like that. Interesting. So wow. I try to also teach people that when we're demonizing people that are on the other side of the industry— that that's the wrong way it's to like do it. It's like not even another side. Right. It contributes. Like be. I would imagine it contributes to the quote unquote higher risk. Yeah, too. Of course, because then well, it makes them quiet about so the other things they're doing and in secrecy. But know. also, also like on a on a main like outside of the realm of adult entertainment, we still have these beliefs that like gay men are at a higher risk for HIV and like gay men still can't donate blood if you've had sex with like if you've had sex with another man in the last year, you can't donate blood. And like the fact this that is it is still a rule. It's still a rule and it's so fucking pervasive that even in a space that you would think would like be woke about this right. shit, you know, coming from people that get tested every like what four weeks, six weeks, whatever it is, fourteen days, fourteen days. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah. Holy shit! Like, but see, here's, that here's even, the that thing: these thoughts that we have that are so pervasive that even in that space, they're still like. So if they, if if anyone wants to work in the mainstream porn side, we are tested every fourteen days for HIV, syphilis, chlamydia, gonorrhea, trick, hepatitis C period, every 14 days. Uh, we have the most sensitive HIV test that's being used in the industry. And on the in the other areas of the industry, whether it's the trans, I'm going to say side because it's what it is for now, uh, or the gay area, we are not cohesive hmm. on our testing standards. Some some companies don't adhere to 14 days on in other areas. Some companies do. Other companies uh, on the gay side assume that anyone could be HIV positive and protect themselves accordingly. Uh, people in serodiscordant relationship uh, what are paired up. Okay, so, I don't know so, that word. Sorry, sometimes in, I don't either. Tell sometimes me. people. Uh, Oh, serodiscordant people who are seropositive or yes. sero HIV so positive or HIV, HIV negative. HIV positive oh, okay. and HIV negative will work together, together in a scene, sometimes knowingly, sometimes not knowingly, because it's just different. So what ends up happening is there's a lack of knowledge, so there's fear. And because there's fear, people take it over the top and get really either nervous, scared, weird, angry, whatever that happens to be that comes after it. So I fully expected, because I work with people that have done gay porn uh, and I love them. I work with trans people and I love them. And I explain it to people like this. Instead of saying, oh, it's gay men that are driving up the HIV rates and whatever. No, okay, let's, let's take what is risky sex mm -hmm. and let's put it on a scale or a continuum and let's talk about where we are and where our comfort level is. So for me, I work with condoms. It's just what I do. But that being said, I also take 
facials. I also have group sex. I also have orgies. I do DPs. I do anal. I do all of that other stuff. And condoms break. And condoms don't protect you from everything. Right. But that's just where I'm comfortable on mm-hmm. the scale that, oh, and, and also, of course, I rely on 14-day testing, but that's only as good as up until the last time that person has had sex after that last. Which could have been But yesterday. you found something right. that you feel comfortable with on right. your continuum, and all yeah. that matters is that you're comfortable with it. Yeah, and you're. Uh, some people also are operating on the belief that, like, these people are having all this risky sex as if they don't care about their own health. Like, they don't want HIV in their personal life. You know, mm-hmm. like, nobody's going out there and going, oh, just fuck everything. I don't care about it. Well, I think you're much more likely to do that if you're not a sex worker. Sure. Like, that's the thing. Like, I think sex workers probably practice the safest fucking sex ever. Like, it's your livelihood. And, like, I know so many people that are not sex workers that are having risky fucking sex. Uh, Oh, my gosh. We've been talking for so long. Nicoletta just looked at my phone. But, like, this is such an amazing conversation. (laughs) I told you it would happen. And I I know our (laughs) listeners are into it. So, I'm like, don't feel that bad. We will wrap it up soon and we will have Jessica back. I know that. But, yeah, like, you're going to... You're, yeah, the point that I was making before I got distracted by the time is it's my fault. No, it's fine. I can't. We've been talking for an hour. No, it's 15. mine. I talk a lot. No, I don't think it's anybody's fault. I think it's a blessing it's the cum and dumpster fault. <laughs> come dumpster. Come dumpster. Yes. <laughs> Say uh, no, but no. I think one, that he, two, three. Come dumpster. I don't even know if there's anything to add. <laughs> Well, Jessica, it has been such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you would like us to address? I'm sure there's tons, but anything that you think we have time for now, we will have you black, back, have you black, have you back. That interracial <laughs> and stuff. And you might have me black. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I would just like to say thank you first for having me um, and plug my latest movies, which yeah. uh, my showcase movie, which will, let's see. Yes, it will be out by the time this airs. Um, It's called Jessica Drake is Wicked. The other movie that I just wrapped is called Inconvenient Mistress. My line of educationals is Jessica Drake's Guide to Wicked Sex. I'm at guidetowickedsex.com, jessicadrake.com. I'm on Twitter at the Jessica Drake, Instagram, Jessica Drake, Twitter, guide the number two wicked sex. Because fuck that character limit. (laughs) Yeah. At Wicked Pictures for all of our up-to-date movie information and also at Wicked Sensual. And if you follow me on Twitter and tell me that you heard me here on the podcast, you just may get a follow back. Uh, And also I'm doing this special thing where um, I formed Team Wicked for AIDS Walk LA five years ago. And we've we've raised over $100,000 for APLA and AIDS Walk LA. I've worked with APLA for a long time. I, 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 awesome. uh, I worked off a um, a traffic ticket that I got by volunteering at APLA. <laughs> How do we Community donate service. to your team? So I'm going to tweet the link to it. Uh, you can also go to, I would hate to say it wrong, just go to my Twitter uh, and I'll tweet the link. I'll send it to y'all. You feel, can also make your own come. team. Yeah, you can make your own raise team. raise even more money. When is yes. it? So AIDS Walk this year, it's the way I celebrate my birthday. It's October the 15th. My birthday is the 14th. We always throw a huge party at the Abbey afterwards. So <gasps> perhaps you'd like to come? Definitely. Yes! Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. We're so happy you're Y'all here. Y'all are awesome. Jessica. This has been another amazing episode of Sluts and Scholars. We're so grateful to Jessica for joining us. As always, if you like this, make sure to subscribe and review and you can follow us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars and on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. Thank you so much and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.